Welcome to Grace Abounds. I'm Pastor Jen Shaw, and in this podcast, I'm sharing my Sunday sermons from St. John's Lutheran Church, Palm Desert, California. I'm so grateful that you've joined us, and I trust that these words build you up in faith, hope, and love. The late Dr. Glenn Stassen was the head of the Christian Ethics Department at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena during my time there. And as my emphasis was in Christian ethics, I had several classes with him. He was a senior member of the faculty. He was a well-known author and theologian. He led the Just Peacemaking Initiative. He was actually at Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. And yet, during faculty meetings, he did not sit at the inner table with the other senior professors. He sat in the outer ring with the more junior academics. During our trip to the Holy Land, where this photo was taken, he did not stay in the accommodations arranged for faculty and donors. He stayed in the more economy hotel with the students. When I mentioned this with appreciation to him, he actually responded, well, duh. And every week after class, he would invite students to join him at the happy hour at McCormick and Schmidt's to continue our discussions, graciously giving us his time. He demonstrated the virtues of humility and hospitality. Humility and hospitality taught by Jesus in our reading from the Gospel of Luke, who calls on his listeners to practice these virtues in ways that were and continue to be counter-cultural. The society in which Jesus ministered was an honor-shame social structure. Honor was the estimation of a person's value in their society, in their community. Shame was the depreciation of that value. A person's identity was largely determined by how their community viewed them. Your social worth was established by what other people thought about you. Think maybe high school cliques and beyond. And in that hierarchical social structure, an honor-shame society, in which the estimation of your community was vitally important, one significant way that that social standing was established was in table fellowship. Again, maybe think finding your place in the high school cafeteria. It mattered who you ate with. Formal meals were hosted by those with some degree of wealth and power and privilege to maintain and display their social standing. And the people invited to these meals would be of equal or perhaps even greater social standing. People who hosted these meals would invite their family and friends and rich neighbors with the expectation that they would be repaid in some form, at the very least, with a similar invitation. 
It was a system, in other words, of quid pro quo. Something for something. You do for me, and I do for you. No free lunch. People were invited to these meals because they had wealth or social standing or political influence. People who did not have these things were not invited to these meals. It also mattered at these meals where you sat, or in the Greco-Roman culture of the time, where you reclined around the table. We might say today your spot on the seating chart. Your position indicated your social standing. The more important people were closer to the host, and the less important people were farther away. Again. Like high school, and table fellowship was especially important in the Jewish culture of the time. Strictly observant Jewish people kept the laws of the Old Testament that determined what you could and could not eat. In other words, kosher, and they did not eat with share table fellowship with people who did not keep those laws. In other words, Gentiles. Who broke the law, and were therefore considered sinners. Pharisees, in particular, were strict in their observance of these laws and did not associate themselves with people they deemed unworthy. The very Hebrew word for Pharisee is from the word for separate. Now it seems that Jesus, the young rabbi, Had enough social standing to be invited to one of these meals that was taking place on the Sabbath in the house of a leader of the Pharisees. But Jesus had been acting in ways they did not find acceptable. He had been contradicting their social expectations. He had, in their opinion, been breaking the rules. Perhaps that's why they are watching him closely. To see if he'll do it again, which he does. As Luke recounts, Jesus launched his public ministry by declaring that he came to bring good news to the very people the Pharisees would exclude—the poor, the vulnerable, the socially disadvantaged. Jesus touched. And healed lepers. He freed people from demonic oppression. He restored sight to those who had been blind, and mobility to those who had been paralyzed, and brought a widow's son back from death to life. He welcomed tax collectors into his inner circle. He ate with sinners, and he offered the good Samaritan as an example of true. Compassion, and he called out social religious authorities for their failure to keep the greatest commandments: love God with your whole being and love all of your neighbors as yourself. And at this meal, while they are watching Jesus, they had seen him just prior to his teaching for today. Heal a man. 
in their view, this contradicts the Sabbath law to do no work on that day. And in doing this, Jesus once again demonstrates that the wholeness of a human being is more important than the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. And while they are watching Jesus do this, Jesus has been watching them at this meal on the Sabbath in this house of the leader of the Pharisees. And he offers them some wisdom, echoing the wisdom we heard in Proverbs 25, for how to behave as guests with humility and as hosts with hospitality. Jesus has noticed people seeking the place of honor, jockeying for position around the table, trying to put themselves first. And so Jesus advises them to avoid shame by avoiding pride, to not jockey for position, to not give in to that me-first mentality and try and put themselves ahead of others, to behave with honor wherever they find themselves at the table. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Humility, being humble, is a proper sense of self in relationship with others. Pride tells me to get ahead no matter what, to put myself first, that I really am better than other people, and therefore my selfish behavior is justified. Humility knows it's not a zero-sum game. I don't have to be anxious about being first. We all belong to the Lord, and we all have dignity and value and worth. My selfish behavior falls short of the love for which we are all made. As a friend once said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not low self-esteem or self-neglect. It's not being a doormat and letting people walk all over you. It's not degrading yourself. It's valuing everyone, including yourself. Knowing that we are all made and loved by the Lord who loves us all forever. That there really is room enough at the table for everyone. And having advised the guests at this meal on how to act with humility, Jesus advises the hosts at this meal on how to act with hospitality in a way that directly contradicted the predominant worldview of that time and this. Jesus says to his listeners, when you host a meal, do not invite your family and friends and rich neighbors, the people you know are familiar with and can be expected to repay you in some way. 
Instead, invite the poor, the vulnerable, the socially disadvantaged, people you likely don't know, are not familiar with, and can be expected not to repay you. This probably sounded insane to the Pharisees at that meal on that day. Why would you do this? Why would you risk offending your wealthy neighbors for the sake of poor strangers? Why would you risk the dishonor of associating yourselves with those in need? Why would you miss the opportunity to advance your own social standing and wealth and political influence by inviting in people who had none of those things? Because, Jesus continues, this is the way of the Lord, the way of righteousness, the way of life. True and lasting value is not found in money or our fallen society's social influence or political power, but in loving relationships with God and all of God's beloved children. Not in what we take, but in what we give. Not quid pro quo, but grace. The very reason to invite the poor and vulnerable and socially disadvantaged is because they can't pay you back. Because they are fellow human beings in need. Because that's what Jesus would do. That is what Jesus Christ did for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loves us and came to save us. God humbled God's self. God emptied himself and came down to earth and joined with us in our humanity, met us in our need, in the person of Jesus Christ, fully human and fully divine, who suffered along with us in this broken world, who died on the cross and was buried, and on the third day he rose again to life, taking our death as his own and freeing us from it forever, bringing us with him into life eternal and abundant, ultimately healing us and the whole creation. Life now and forever is a gift of grace. God does not operate quid pro quo. God does not give because God expects something in return. God gives because that's who God is. God is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love. We welcome friends and strangers into community as Jesus welcomed us. And as we do so, as the author of Hebrews writes, and we heard today, we may be entertaining angels unaware the Hebrew word for hospitality in this Hebrews passage is philiozenius, which literally means love of foreigners. 
as we welcome strangers. We may be entertaining the messengers of God unaware as we free our lives from the love of money and the lure of wealth and the corrupting influence of seeking worldly power, we demonstrate our trust in the Lord, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who is unchanging in love, who is our helper, who will never leave us or forsake us. As we do good, and share what we have. We are offering sacrifices pleasing to God. In the words of Martin Luther, you are powerful, not so that you may make the weak weaker by oppression, but so that you may make them powerful by lifting them up and defending them. Some years ago, sitting around a table on a patio at McCormick and Schmitz. Dr. Glenn Stassen and I were talking about the gifts the Lord gives for ministry. And he paused and said to me, which you have, by the way, a gift of grace. from a man who lived, I'm sorry. Obviously meant a lot to me. <laughs> it was a gift from a man who lived his faith in Christ with humility and hospitality. May we do the same. Amen. Thanks for listening. We're doing this every week, so make sure to subscribe. If you'd like more information about St. John's mission to know Christ and make Christ known, visit our website, stjohnslutheran.church. May God bless you on this day and in all the days ahead.